Welcome to episode 137 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Anthony Samroff, and my illustrious guest, Mark Clare. You probably know him from the Lions of Liberty Podcast. How are you, Mark? I'm ready to roar, Anthony. Oh, wait, this is not oh, my show. I'm sorry. I'm so used to, <laughs> so used to asking that question. I just felt I, like I had I was just about to say, more importantly, <laughs> are you ready to roar? I beat you to it. Well, I'm always ready, of course. When I well, get out of bed, when I, when I go to bed, when I get out of bed, and everything in between, uh, even when I dream, I am constantly roaring for the ideas of liberty. It's just, just kind of what I do. You have subjected me to the humiliation of having to roar live on a podcast <laughs> twice. And it's now, fun. It's a fun little icebreaker. You know? And now it's your turn. You're the, you're the conversation guy. You know all about fun, fun icebreakers to, you know, open up a conversation. Come on, let's hear it. Let's hear your roar. Hear my roar. Wow, no one ever asked for my roar. All right. Uh, roar! My God. That was, that, was, that was honestly a pretty tepid one. I mean, I, I can... Uh, that, was a, that was a high quality roar. I was not expecting it to be that good. Yeah, well, but I'm doing a lot of interviews this week, so I don't want to blow out my entire voice just, just trying to roar for you. But that's about as good as I can do without killing myself. There's a reason why you're doing a lot of interviews this week. And it's not there because um, Lines of Liberty podcast has two names in common with Scottish Liberty podcast. <laughs> two out of three words. I mean, that's pretty close. That's, that's pretty close. That's pretty close. It's almost like... Uh, if we merge them, they would be the Scottish Lions of Liberty. What would a Scottish Lions Well, that's funny because, uh, you know, on the British flag, uh, one of the British flags, there's a lion and a unicorn, but the unicorn's Scotland and the lion is, um, is, is England. So it would be like we were subsumed. We'd, the unicorn got eaten. <laughs> Unicorns are way more badass than lions. Unicorns of Liberty Podcast. You never freaking thought of that. You missed the trick. I, I think we just did. You that better go trademark that right now, except that would be a little anti-libertarian. I get the, so. the female uh, libertarian. That would attract <laughs> the female audience because, you, you know, we don't have enough female libertarians. I mean, single female libertarians are basically the unicorns of liberty. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe a few of them out there should start the Unicorns of Liberty Podcast. That was genius. That was genius. They are you just the have to pay Anthony and I a small fee as your producers. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So, yes, um, it's almost as though uh, yeah, the, someone stole the second two words of their podcast from someone else. <laughs> it's almost like that. I know. It's almost like that. So you've been or going, the other way around. Who knows? How long has Lions of Liberty been going? Well, funny you ask, because uh, on Friday, September 13th, 2019, that will be the sixth year anniversary of the very first podcast that I ever released. Uh, it was originally just me that did this podcast. Um, I had other... Of Liberty. What's that? I was... Well, yeah, I mean, we, we already had a website. So basically, Lions of Liberty started, um, you know, I can get more into the story in a bit, um, but we started as a website pretty much around the time of Ron Paul's second run for president. Uh, so around 2011 or so, that, that was started with a few friends of mine. But at that time, we basically just did articles and blog posts. And we were essentially a Ron Paul propaganda site at first. But then we started to do uh, some more sort of original articles, kind of uh, analyzing different current events in the news, uh, really anything we could do to try to gain some traction. And uh, we did that for a few years, just kind of plugging away. We built a little bit of a, you know, a readership, I guess. And then uh, 
podcasts were just something I listened to so much. I mean, I, I, no matter what I was doing, I, I have a couple of Huskies that I would take for really long runs and walks. And uh, you know, whenever I'm out doing chores or even when I work, I just found myself listening to podcasts constantly because I could just absorb information. And I, there wasn't that many, if you can believe this, uh, at that time, there really weren't libertarian podcasts that I could find. I mean, I think maybe like Cato had some kind of podcast and I think Lou Rockwell released some once in a while, but there really wasn't a regular libertarian podcast that you could tune into you know, every single week at the same exact time and get a new discussion on the ideas, really. So uh, I just basically decided to start the uh, podcast that I wanted to hear. And I'm not sure if you even asked me that question, but I just went into it. It's all good, man. In aid, in honor of your six years as a podcaster, let the people... I, I can't help but giggle because with your which I incredibly soothing, by the way, Scottish accent. Every time you say the word six, I hear the word sex, but so, oh, I, so it's our sex anniversary. <laughs> I can, I can, I completely forgot about that. Um, the, the anniversary, the anniversary that we are facing a lot of adversity with our um, vocalizations. Today. Yeah. The, the adversity anniversary. The anniversary of you losing your virginity, your podcasting virginity. Podcast virginity, need to be clear. When I the was, other one we don't discuss, you know. And, and when I was <laughs> still waiting, still waiting. <laughs> still working on that, yeah. One of these days, I'm hoping podcasting will uh, will lead me to uh, to get rid of the other one too. Get a female unicorn libertarian. That's why we need these unicorns. Come on, ladies. <laughs> right. So um, it's funny because when I was um, about twenty, I went to Pennsylvania to. I didn't ask for your virgin virgin story, by the way, but go on. (laughs) To to volunteer as a summer camp counselor, and the kids rattled me every time I said the word sex. Uh. (laughs) Well, see, we say sex. I don't. It sounds different to me, but yeah, I don't. It sounds pretty much the same. Pretty much the same to me. Am I meant to go sick? Sick. (laughs) Anyway, in aid, in honor of this illustrious occasion of you, your six years as a podcaster, what are the lines of liberty doing? Ah, yes, yes. The whole point of me doing this podcast circuit. Not the only point. Uh, Not the only point. point. There are many points. I always, I'm willing to talk about the ideas of liberty for any reason, just about anybody. So, uh, but this gives me a compelling reason because uh, we have produced, uh, we we funded, I I guess I would say, uh, a documentary basically telling the story of, of how we came together uh, and there, there are now three of us that that are, are that have are our hosts on Lions of Liberty. We have we each have our own show every single week. We also do a bunch of shows together, uh, both public shows and a bunch of shows we do uh, for our Patreon, our, our Lions of Liberty Pride, as we call them. Uh, but it's myself. Uh, I host the Monday show, uh, doing interviews with people like you. I host debates also with people like you. Uh, you you've been in a, a couple of debates that I've hosted, which I've really, really enjoyed doing. And uh, then on Wednesdays, we have Brian McWilliams, who does a show called Electric Liberty Land, uh, where he breaks down current events and really takes a, a lot more of a comedic and cultural approach to the ideas of liberty as opposed to like the philosophical approach. Or uh, I mean, he's got a little philosophy in there too. You know, he likes to interweave. And then on Friday, we have Felony Friday, which is our, uh, in many ways, our most important show because it really is in some ways, a little bit less political. It's really uh, John Odermatt hosts it, and he highlights different stories of injustice in the criminal justice system, uh, whether it's through looking at news stories. But by and large, it's been interviews with people that have actually been through the criminal justice system and uh, have overcome obstacles and that sort of thing. So to me, it's a very inspiring program. So uh, those three shows make up the, uh, the Lions of Liberty podcast in its entirety. You can get them all over at that feed. Uh, but yeah, this, this documentary, we basically... 
we've told our story in so many ways, but we really wanted to create a, a cool piece of media to sort of spread around and uh, t sort of tell our story, kind of give ourselves a little more pub, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, we funded this documentary thanks to the money from our Patreon supporters. And we hired a good friend of ours. Uh, his name is Dan Smots. He is uh, the, uh, his company is called Goulash Films. He also hosts a show called the system is down. So I want to give him a big plug because uh, he basically produced and directed and edited this entire thing basically on his own. He uh, recorded myself and John uh, throughout the Porkfest event. We were actually both in the car when we were telling the story, uh, separately telling the story of how we all came together uh, for this podcast. And then uh, Brian, well, I want to keep it a surprise. Brian is actually telling the story in a very... Uh, interesting and funny environment. So, uh, and then he, that sort of interweaves those three stories into sort of one cohesive tale of how we came together uh, and uh, interspersed with a bunch of footage that was, that was shot at, at Porkfest uh, in New Hampshire this past year, which is just an, an amazing time. I highly recommend checking that out um, if anybody can get over there. And uh, yeah, so it, it, he really did an amazing job, Dan did, of, of putting this thing together mm. and uh, making us look our best, as, as good as we can look. But we, what we really wanted to convey was uh, basically what we are, why we do this podcast. I mean, I wouldn't say we're not intellectuals. We all got to where we are in, in an intellectual way, but we're not academics. We're not people that spent all their years you know, stuffed into books. Uh, we, we're basically just regular people that have come to understand and be, become extremely enthusiastic about the ideas of liberty over the years. And we want to find unique and interesting and sometimes comedic ways to, to share those ideas and, and get more and more people talking about them. And uh, you know, that's something we want to try to continue to do as these years go forward. So uh, hopefully this is a... Uh, a little piece of something, a little good piece of media. It's only about 15 minutes long. I guess you'd call it a mini documentary. No one needs to see a two-hour uh, tale of how we came together. Uh, that would just get boring and repetitive. So this is really a tightly put together piece that uh, hopefully will be very shareable and hopefully something that can really interest people, not just in what we're doing at Lions of Liberty, but you know, again, just the ideas of liberty overall. The fact that there's there's some cool people out there having fun doing this stuff. We're not just all all a bunch of you know stuffy nerds with our, our face stuffed into um, Mises and Rothbard books. Although you know. Well, of course, do that on our free time as well. <laughs> yeah, like I, I totally don't do that. Um, I didn't have a shelf full of books by Mises, honest. Uh, but yeah, right, I mean, you got there through the comments sections, if, if I recall your story story correctly. <laughs> partly, partly, yeah. So let me ask you a question. Well, actually, first I want to say I am extremely looking forward to checking out this clip. This many many. Umentary. I'm not really good at fusing yeah. words. Together. Mini doc works. Mini doc. <clears throat> mini doc. Yeah, this mini doc. I'm really looking forward to. It. I want to see what it's all about. Um, but what I want, but what I really want is to get Mark for now to whet people's appetite for this. I want to get behind the main. Ooh, behind the main. <laughs> Mark Clear. Behind I like the main. it. <laughs> You're not going to try to get me to shave my head like you did, are you? <laughs> I, I had no choice. I was balding. Well, actually, I mean, you, pull it off, you pull off the bald head well, but I have had my shaved head before, my head yeah. shaved before, uh, not since high school. Actually, no, I did it in my late 20s for one time too, and I just don't have, I don't have the right head All for right. no yeah. hair. Some I, people do. You have I, to, some, some of us just have to shave our heads and go, well, I already had a goatee, but uh, having a shaved head necessitates a go goatee. Uh, but to say that I was going, that I was balding is probably to really understate the matter. I was pretty freaking bald for a long time. But yeah, um, I guess uh, you being the the leader of the pack, what, what, what do you call it? A pride, the leader of the pride. Yeah, the pride is what we have dubbed our, our Patreon yeah. group, the, the Lions Pride, which, which uh, 
often gets confused with the other kind of pride, but, but we're okay with that because we're very accepting of everybody. We're libertarians, so that's fine. If, if people get confused and don't understand us and think that that's just a, a word we're cool with using because we don't care, then that's great. Come on in. You are proud of your supporters, though. Absolutely. Very loyal sure. they are. And, um, but uh, you being the main man, so to speak, to continue, continue with the uh, lion. The puns are all over the place. <laughs> I know. Uh, once I get my claw in, I really, I really just cannot withdraw. I'm losing listeners by the pun. <laughs> the, 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 drop, the, the rating is dropping, dropping. Well, you know, Brian is a pun master and he uses them every week. So maybe you'll we'll get some crossover. And as you lose your listeners, maybe you'll gain some of ours who appreciate the puns a little more. <laughs> hey, okay. <laughs> uh, I've already lost enough. Enough <laughs> listeners to you meddling kids. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I want to get, like, because we spoke, this must be fourth uh, time that we've had a recorded conversation, but we've spoken. Something like that. Sounds about right. Over the years. But I don't know a whole ton about you. So this is, this, this seems like an awesome opportunity to, um, I'm trying to think of some pun relating to lions with behind the main worked pretty well. We're going to get Mark Claire behind the main to um, catch two gazelles with one stroke, (laughs) uh, so to speak, Uh, which means I get to know my buddy, Mark Claire and the listeners to the Scottish Liberty podcast do as well. All in one fell swoop. Boom. So uh, tell us a little bit about Mark Claire where where'd you live? Where'd you grow up? What'd you do for a living? What's the meaning of life? Does God exist? Are there aliens? Oh, wow. Do I have to answer all of those in one one fell swoop? You don't have to answer. That sounds like like a lot more than two gazelles, by the way. That's sounds like, like I gotta take down a whole I don't know if they're called packs or what, what gazelles are called, but what well, answers on a postcard, uh, or a YouTube comment. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you live now? What'd you do for a living? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets me out of bed in the morning? Well, I got to go make money. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. But um, no, but I, I grew up uh, on the East Coast of the United States. I grew up in the uh, Buffalo, New York uh, when I was younger, and then I moved to Connecticut. Um, all cold places. So when it came time for me to become an adult and bloom out, uh, I'd studied, I'd kind of gotten into TV production in college. Uh, I actually originally went into journalism is when I, was my idea, but I just found the way I was taught about journalism didn't make sense. So now I'm sort of doing my own sort of kind of journalism. I wouldn't call myself a journalist in what I do, but I, I'm applying some of the motivations behind that even today uh, with doing interviews and that sort of thing. Um, but I ended up really enjoying, I took like a, a, a video editing class where I edited a music, music video. I really enjoyed doing that. And uh, so that kind of got me interested in doing TV production. So I, I sort of focus on that end of things um, towards the end of my college, my time in college. And then um, when it came time to get a job, um, you know, I, my choices basically were, you know, to, if I really wanted to dive into the industry to either go to New York City, which was very close. It's a place I was familiar with. I lived not too far from outside of there. I had a lot of family there or to go to Los Angeles. So mm. one time I visited a college buddy who had graduated before me. He, I spent about a week with him in L.A. and uh, my decision was made very easily. You know, I, I got off the plane. It was sunny. There's palm trees. Uh, it was October. So it was like freezing back at home. It was pretty cold in Connecticut, at least, you know. What I would call freezing now is not what I would call freezing back then. My, 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 my skin has, or I guess my blood has gotten thinner, you might say, mm. uh, over the years. But I couldn't really argue with 70 degrees and sunny year-round, although, although I know you don't use our degree system. So whenever I talk to my metric friends, things always get a little, little hazy there. 
But let's just say the weather's very nice here all year round for all our international listeners. And uh, yeah, I, w- I was hooked. So uh, I, I basically saved a little money, packed up, moved out to Los Angeles, and then I've been here ever since. Uh, ooh, how, how, am I going to age myself or not? I've been here for a long time. <laughs> let's, just put it, let's put it that way. And, uh, but um, I skipped over a, a time there in college. I went to Pennsylvania State University. Uh, I was in a fraternity there, believe it or not. And uh, I, I became friends with a lot of the people that have now become Lions of Liberty in later years. But one of those friends, he's not one of the regular hosts, but he does contribute to the podcast. His name's Howie Snowden. And he would always tell me, uh, you know, we would, we would do a bunch of, uh, you know, late night drinking and such as, as you're wont to do in college. And uh, uh, he would, we would always talk about crazy stuff, wild stuff, wild ideas. And, and he at one point started talking about this libertarian stuff and he was already really into this. And uh, he actually had uh, when he was in high school, he was a page for a congressman. It's basically just like a, an intern for, for uh, members of Congress. Um, and at, when he was a page, not for Ron Paul, but he met Ron Paul, and he actually like had several conversations with him. He like he would watch his speeches in the House, and uh, he got really just upset. He really loved this guy, and it really got him into the, onto the path of libertarian ideas. So he told me about Ron Paul. This is like you know way before Ron Paul ran for president. I mean, no one had really heard of this guy except maybe his constituents or you know anybody who really follows politics. So uh, I, I started subscribing to this guy's column uh, mm. called Texas Straight Talk, and I used to read it like every week. And uh, what really struck me, and, and this got me thinking about politics in a little bit of a different way, because I was raised, eh, my dad was a Republican, and I listened to talk radio with him, so I, I, I didn't feel passionately about everything, but I guess I sort of identified as a Republican, because I didn't, that's just what was in my house, I don't, didn't really know the, all that much about what that even meant. great in L.A. Well, yeah, we'll get there because things have shifted over time. But because uh, I definitely didn't didn't refer to myself as, as a Republican by the time I got here, because um, I, I got I would say at first what Ron Paul just did for me was more than even think about the philosophy deeply. Um, I, I noticed that he would criticize Republicans, and he was a Republican. And I guess that just stood out to me. Like half his columns, more than half, seemed to they weren't just criticizing the other side like every other democrat always did he was criticizing like the war on drugs and mm. uh you know the overseas conflicts and all mm. these things that usually you only criticize if the other side was doing them he was mm. criticizing his own team that just stood out to me and it made me kind of realize that politics in many ways is a, is a bit of a uh, well it's more than a bit it's a total mirage um you know what we see on tv is completely different i was also a big fan of uh, this guy, Governor Jesse Ventura, who I've I've had the interview, uh, the pleasure to interview both these people eventually, thanks to podcasting, uh, both Ron Paul and Governor Jesse Ventura. But even not knowing much about his politics, I just remember liking the idea that he was this independent uh, guy who became the governor without being part of one of these parties. So I, I really just liked him for that reason and, and no other. So um, you know, not, not not really because of anything about his politics because I just didn't know that much about it. It was very surface level understanding. But you know, I, I was attracted to the independent streak, I guess, in both of these people. And uh, even even growing up and hearing these Republican ideas, um, I, I just kind of remember questioning things a lot. I would hear you know some conversation about some law, and I would always think to myself, and sometimes ask my dad, like, why? Why should there be a law about this? You know, why why should the government have any say in this? That that was just sort of, I guess, maybe an instinctual thought that I always had. But um, anyway, once Howie told me about Ron Paul and I started going down that rabbit hole, I really started to think about the philosophy eventually, you know, even more deeply. And um, he got he got me into uh, Harry Brown. I read one of his books, uh, How to Live Free in an Unfree World. That really got me got me thinking about so many you know possibilities in life, so so differently. And um, yeah, I really just went went down the whole rabbit hole, the Rothbard Mises all that fun stuff. And I, I really just, everything I read really entrenched me more and more that, that I was on the right path with the ideas. Because even when I would read things that I didn't agree with, 
I wouldn't just say I disagree with this, I'm out of here and throw the thing away. I would really try to break down, you know, why does this not make sense to me? And sometimes I would end up still disagreeing. I mean, there's aspects of libertarianism that libertarians disagree on all the time, um, little things here and there. But for the most part, I found myself just really challenging my views and then allowing myself to see a different way. And if that way made more sense, I would allow myself to go further down that path. So uh, I do credit Howie, I think, largely for, for directing kind of an inner spirit that was probably already in me. Um, so that, that kind of just led me to get excited about the ideas, but it was always kind of my own thing. You know, it, it was just like a hobby. I don't know if it was this way for you, but it wasn't something I talked about with friends, with family, really with anybody uh, for years and years. It was just ideas I thought to myself. I'd read books, read articles, and just think, Oh yeah, things should be this other way, but that was that was as far as I went with it. It was really only when Ron Paul ran for president and started saying a lot of the same stuff on TV and showing such bravery to keep doing so, uh, despite the fact that he was being mocked and laughed at, and I mean literally laughed at by the hosts of debates and the fellow, you know, all the all the candidates around him who just didn't take him seriously at all. But he was saying completely compelling, completely world-shattering things that I completely agreed with. And, uh, you know, that, that seeing him really just able to face the challenge of continuing to, being mo to be mocked at while continuing to just further uh, double down on his views, never backing down, that was really what, what stood out to me. I, I started to say to myself, well, I have to start. I can at least, like, start talking to people I know. I can at least do something. So that really gave me the courage and the inspiration to, to make this, you know, basically – part of my life like an important part of my life is talking about these ideas fantastic so what is your one deviation rothbard says that everyone is allowed one deviation what are what is the area or are there any areas that you fear would not be what you suspect or you're worried would not be adequately what is, what are the weakest elements of libertarianism or what what do you fear might not work in an ANCAP society now i i don't know if i have i'm the perfect libertarian i don't know if you know that so i, I think I, I have no flaws at all uh i mean i i think i deviate from certain like maybe certain takes here and there that like i think in ethics of liberty rothbard for example basically and I know this isn't giving his full breakdown, full credence, but he does essentially argue that a parent could decide not to feed a child because that's not, that's not technically like to force them to do so would be a kind of aggression. You might get listeners that send you rebuttal arguments and that sort of thing. And I'd be happy to read them because I have read the actual work though, just to be clear, I'm not just like taking a paraphrase. It's pretty, pretty much does make an argument for that. And I don't really, I, I do think, I think that I think the most difficult area, no matter what we're talking about, is actually dealing with children I, that as more of a broad issue, yeah, because sure. there's clearly a point on day one when that child is born. You can't just say this child has the same exact rights to non-aggression as as a full human, because you could technically say that feeding a child at, at sometimes might even be aggression. I mean, sometimes a child might, as a baby might just be like, nah, well, I not want to eat. And you, they have to eat because they're going to die. So is it aggression if you force a child to eat a little bit of food by like putting the spoon a little farther into his mouth? I don't know. I never raised a child, by the way. So maybe this isn't the, like, the best area for me to do deep dives on. Point being, I, I think we all agree that a one day old baby just can't make all the decisions in life for itself that, you know, it just is not physically capable of. And I think most people agree that like a 35 year old man or woman is, or, you know, as, as reasonably as anybody can, depending on who we're talking about. Uh, but there's, as, as we get those numbers closer and closer together, as we get to 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 
that just becomes a gray area. And there, I, I think that's the, the part where I, a lot of times I just, I don't know. What should the age of consent to have sex be? I don't know. Is there an exact libertarian answer for that? 17. I, I don't, I don't see. Yeah, I mean, I, it's really the, and I, I think the fact that, that different countries and different states all over the world all have different rules about this, ranging from like twelve to like eighteen, basically, um, it kind of shows that that humans don't agree on that. And I don't know the answer. I would be very uncomfortable with the idea of an adult sleeping with a twelve-year-old. Personally, it just feels weird to me. Um, in other cultures, it's not that weird. And I, and I, I can I really am I really equipped to say that? what's right and what's wrong there. I don't know. You could argue that once a, um, you know, once a human hits puberty and is physically able to procreate, I mean, you could argue that nature says that it, it must, you must be allowed to make those decisions now because you're physically ready. Um, and I, and I, don't, I don't really have a strong opinion on this on an exact age or at all. It's just something that always, that's, that's what I struggle with the most, talking about any kind of age and consent type issues because I think there, again, there's many areas where it's easy Talking about a two-year-old, it's it's kind of easy. Talking about a, a grown adult, it's kind of easy. But when 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 those numbers get you know nine, ten, eleven, twelve, it becomes less less easy to really determine you know exactly. Yeah, um, because we love precise answers, but right, some some things really are on a sliding scale. Right. And I'm not for aggression ever, so I'm not even trying to say that there's you know I I just think it's it's how do you argue like can a two year old have a own a gun I don't I mean <laughs> technically yes but should should they be holding a gun and, and waving it around and like playing with it alone probably not so is it irresponsible of an adult to allow a two year old to use a gun probably <laughs> and, and but I actually want to go back to the Rothbard example because I actually I, what I was trying to get to before I went on a tangent as I want to do um, basically like I think there is somewhat of, because libertarians always focus on negative rights, and I, I pretty much agree with that concept that your rights are just things that cannot be done to you. When it comes to parenting a child, I don't know. I think if you have a baby, I'm not saying the state should force you to feed it, but I, I don't think you should be able to just abandon it and let it die. Yeah. I don't think you should be allowed to put it in a corner and say, well, oh, well. Uh, I think you can abdicate the responsibility. I think you should just like find someone who will feed it. You know, I, I, I just have a, uh, that's just one area I think. And I think most regular people think that way too. Um, but I don't know what, what age do you have to, do you have to continue feeding it? Uh, people would probably say five, six, seven. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's 13 and can go get a job in some place that allow that. Can he feed himself now? I don't know. And almost everyone would agree that at 18, you're not, you should not be obligated to feed a child anymore. They're an adult. They should probably be able to you know, go figure that out on their own. So it, it's just all these issues with age become gray areas where if we apply the same concepts to adults, you know, no one's really has a question about it. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, most libertarians would agree that you shouldn't uh, be able to beat the crap out of your child. Some, uh, myself included, are don't don't think you should spank a child. Whether I think it should be against the laws, a, a different um, a different issue. But at some point, you're going to come to a grey area. Well, if you can uh, spank a child, can you put them on the naughty step? Can you send them to the room? Can you, right. you know? And if they say no. Are you allowed to pick them up and put them in the room and lock the door just because you think spanking's a, a breach of the non-agreement? Can you send them to bed without dinner? Right. When okay. it's really not, well, not healthy so, to not uh, eat dinner so or something. <laughs> it's a difficult issue and it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a very difficult. There's a lot of things that parents can do that are psychologically damaging to their children that don't involve any physical aggression at all. Sure. 
So it's a really difficult area to... What, what about a dad just pressuring his kid to play football and he might really hate it and he might not like getting hit on the football field, but his dad says, you got to play football. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you could say he never hits him and never... That's, you know, that's a psychological torture that might lead to him being physically hit and harmed in a way that he doesn't want to be. So where, you know, where do we draw these lines? And yeah, yeah. Again, I don't think there's a direct answer for all this stuff. Yeah, there's, there, yeah so, so that's quite... That is a gray area. So that, if, that's why we need national, the National Liberty Court. Uh, that's, uh, every case is judged by Walter Block. That's the, that's the only solution to this. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> okay, so I've got some more... more po- uh, so there's a question... There's a, that leads to an interesting question. Where do you come down on criminal justice? What kinds of consequences should, do you think there should be for committing crimes in a libertarian society? Are you, um, yeah, you, you answer the question first. I think I used to very much fall on the side of, you know, I, I don't want there to be any laws, except then I used to say, well, except for those rapists and murderers, they should just be thrown in jail. But the more that I go along, uh, I'm not just sure jail, just generically throwing someone behind a cage is either practically or morally the correct thing to do, even in cases of rape or murder necessarily. Uh, Obviously, if someone is an active threat to society, society should have a way to prevent that threat. That might even include throwing that person in a cage. I don't know. I'm not even saying it's not uh, because that might be justified at some point. You know, if a person is just a danger is every time they're out, they're killing someone and they won't go away. I mean, I don't know. You, at, at that point, maybe your choices are kill them or throw them in a cage. Uh, but I don't think that that scenario I'm describing applies to the vast majority of crimes. Uh, for, just for starters, we all agree in almost every country, the vast majority of crimes are, uh, are victimless. So we can just get rid of those in libertarian society right, right off the bat. And so many of those crimes... Uh, and, you know, just for the war on drugs, for example, so many of the higher level crimes that people are in jail for are as a result of those, those first level victimless crimes. So the entire war of dr- on drugs perpetuates a ton of violence. And a lot of that would also be gone if the war on drugs were not there. So I think. I think so so much violence and a lot of objections by, you know, just describing how they wouldn't be, things wouldn't be that way in a more libertarian society. But I I think it's just the truth. I think so much violence that we see in the world is because our systems are based around violence. So if you remove that initial violent act, I think as as a consequence, you will also see far less violence in every other area of the world. I firmly believe that. Uh, But again, I I think jail and that sort of thing is a conversation for, for the extremes. But the more and more I go down the rabbit hole and I read and learn from people like Robert Murphy, people that really think deeply. I'm buying more and more the idea of sort of society and our institutions being able to shun people and sort of even have these like private jails where jail is more a place you escape because you can't live anywhere else because you killed some people and you mess up real bad and now the power company won't even give you power because no one wants to associate with you at all. So you have, you have no, you can either go off in the woods and be away from society or you can, you know, maybe go to one of these places where they let you live there and they let you, you know, somehow do some work, earn a living, pay compensation to victims, and hopefully build up your reputation again to the point that these institutions in society do allow you back in. And then at some point, you've built up enough cred and money or what have you to leave that place. Mm. Um, Those concepts used to sound more fanciful to me, but the more and more I think about them, I mean, what's fanciful is that the current system of criminal justice is remotely just or remotely fair or remotely effective. So that's the fanciful idea. So why not think even deeper about these things? And I think society at large might seem very far away from this stuff, but there really, it is really one area where 
mindsets do seem to be changing, even on a global scale, even just with the war on drugs. And, and there's a lot of problems with legalizing drugs in the sense of the way governments do it, because a lot of them in here in California, I mean, they still have drug raids for marijuana bus, even though it's, it's been legal you know, here longer than any, any other place in the country, theoretically. But now it's so regulated that there's only certain companies that can that can grow and you know individuals can't grow over certain amounts. So they're still busting people for this stuff. So the war on drugs continues despite legalization. Um, I still think it's a net good because they're being being largely decriminalized for personal use almost across the board. So that's that's a positive thing, regardless of all the regular, you know, the regulatory mess that surrounds it. Boy, I got from uh, starving children to, to the war on drugs in you know, two minutes or less. Not, not bad. Pretty good. Um, yes, yeah, so there, so do you play a musical instrument? <laughs> do the bongos count? I don't even really play those. Uh, no, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I was really into drums when I was uh, younger. And I really loved doing the drums. I started to get okay at it uh, until I got to the point where I wanted to buy a drum set. My parents completely nixed that idea. They just, you know, we're not going to have that. <laughs> so that's kind of where my drumming career ended. But uh, uh, musically speaking, I, I think my closest connection to music is that you may or may not know this, Anthony, but I actually hosted, I was the host of a karaoke night for about eight years. Amazing. So that's my real musical, uh, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes. Uh, talent. And what were the songs that you loved to sing when you were hosting the karaoke? Oh, geez. Well, the first song I ever sang was uh, uh, Africa by Toto. So that, that, that's one of my favorites of all time. I actually used to play Hold the Line by Toto on the piano. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. That's a great song. I think that's their most underrated song. I used to rock that song out. I prefer it to Africa. And I'm a big Rolling Stones fan. I love it. Paint It Black is an old favorite of mine. So what are your Desert Island discs? What are your favorite albums? Oh, man, albums. Uh, I'd have to bring Pink Floyd Dark Side wherever I go. Am I allowed to take best ofs? Is that, is that allowed? Well, I wish you should tell us a little bit about the music you like. Uh, you know, it's funny because I, uh, well, so my, I grew up in a household where my dad basically only listened to, um, essentially he just listened to 50s doo-wop and nothing else. Like even the Beatles were too new of a band for right. him to be uh so that's that's what i was exposed to I, I never really got that into music until i started to learn about music from my friends like in like middle school and high school and i think my friends parents mostly listened to like 70s and 80s rock so they they knew a lot about that stuff so then i started to get into like led zeppelin and uh, uh rolling stones uh the doors i love the doors yeah, me too. Um, yeah like all those like 70s like you know, hippie slash stoner type bands. I really started to get into just thanks to my friends and I guess my friend's parents. So it actually trickled down more from my friend's parents. Um, and then at the same time, I was part of that MTV generation. So I, I was really into all the 80s stuff. You know, Michael Jackson, it was, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. Then into uh, you know, Guns N' Roses, Metallica. Uh, if it was on MTV's top 10 anywhere in the 80, in like the 90s, or like late 80s, 90s, then I was pretty much into it. Love Nirvana, uh, Pearl Jam as all the grunge stuff started taking off. So um, I haven't, I, mean, I am kind of one of those people that hardly listens to any new music. So I, I, I kind of like stop listening to. I say that I mean, people tend to stop listening to music, at new music after 30. Most people do. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, I'll I'll hear new songs here and there, and I'll say I like that, but it's not, I'm not catalog logging it into my my brain or anything like that, you know. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, we're continuing Mark Claire behind the main. Um, if you could have a dinner party with two guests, oh, two famous guests, one living, 
one deceased, one, so he could be a historical figure. Who would you invite to the to share dinner with you? Oh wow, wow, that's a good one. I'm, I think deceased. Wow, see, but it's like, do I want to go way far back? I'm like, should I just invite Socrates? <laughs> you can invite two if you want. One way far. That that'll make a nice round four of you. Two dead guys. Two dead guys. Wow, that's gonna be a weird dinner. History. One. All right. Well, I will. Um, man. I'm gonna okay. I'm just gonna have, I'm just gonna make this a really fun dinner. Uh, so I'm gonna invite Hunter S. Thompson. He's my first more modern dead guy. Mm-hmm. Huge fan of his writing, and uh, yeah, that's one person I always just wanted to like sit around and watch. You know, just have drinks and let him do his thing and see what happens. Uh, so I would invite him, and um, I, I think I would. Hmm, who would I want to invite? Oh man, why not toss? Why not bring my boy John McAfee in? Just since we're gonna make this thing crazy anyway. John, John McAfee and, and Hunter S. Thompson hanging out. And then, and then we'll just bring Socrates in there too. <laughs> Why not? And he can just, uh, he can do like some Socratic method questioning of all three of us. And hopefully we'll just discover the meaning of life by the end of the whole thing. What would you guys talk about? Man, I, I invited no women. We def- we're definitely going to need women with this crew sausage here. Sausage so. fest. <laughs> yeah, it's a real sausage fest. Right, right, well, so, well, McAfee's going to provide the women. He's going he's gonna right, to take okay. it. That's a good, good <laughs> shot. He's going to bring the women. Yeah, yeah, that's why he's invited. Do a, uh, do a seance to recover our unicorns, uh, Ayn Rand, um, <laughs> yeah. Isabel Patterson, and uh, Rose Wilder Lane. <laughs> yeah, the whole crew. That's a, whole, that's, that's a great round table right there. Um, yeah, the one that doesn't pull wins. So uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what. So, okay, what, um, what movies did, have you seen in your life that, went, that made you go, wow? I learned something about life from that movie. Wow. What movies? Well, I'm a huge fan just visually of, and really of the storytelling of, of Stanley Kubrick's movies. Um, I don't, I don't know if <laughs> I remember it was the first time I saw, um, man, my brain is uh, totally 2001. Crazy. 2001 is incredibly visually stimulating. Why is my brain completely freezing on, um, my God, I'm so embarrassed. Jack Nicholson, the hotel. Oh yeah, yeah. Shining. My God, I just had a I had a blonde moment there. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw The Shining, I was maybe like 12 or 13 years old, and I did one of those things where I wasn't I didn't have a TV in my room, and I wasn't supposed to watch TV after whatever time. And you know, my parents went to bed, and I snuck out, and I you know, turned on the TV. I found this movie like like partway through it, and it was that scene just where the blood is like this is on regular TV, but I guess it's 3 a.m., so it was fine. There's just blood pouring down the hallway. There's creepy little girls. There's this weird dude in the bunny mask like giving a like giving a dude head. I'm like, what is? And I don't even know what head is probably at this point. And I'm just like my mind was blown but i was sucked into it because i didn't really fully understand the story but i was just like visually so taken in um and i ended up obviously like watching it for real and becoming a big fan of all his work um just just because it has a way of just creating a, a universe that just you feel surrounded by like you, you feel like you become a part of it um so i really appreciate it. i think just in movies just the ability to tell stories whether it's through great writing or i think and stanley Kubrick movies were well written as well but uh really just he had a, a way of visually storytelling that i think is just you know really hard to uh, hard to replicate even today great two more questions i think uh where did you hang out in the weekends when you were a teenager where did i hang out in the weekends well uh i was kind of a nerd so i didn't uh, I, I, well i did like i didn't really like go to big parties or drink or anything in high school but i did we did do the whole go you know go to the mall and uh i didn't smoke cigarettes because i was a good boy but you know stand outside with my skater friends while they smoke cigarettes and that, that sort of thing and then um 
And then I also got like into like, uh, do you remember the game Doom? So like, um, it's a game that people would play like sort of network together. It's like a shooter game, but this is before we really even had internet. This is like the mid '90s. So we would they would have these like internet cafe right. type things yeah. where you just they were just set up just for games. So you would go there and like you could all be on different computers. You could all play these games together. So we would kind of go there and hang out, and I just did stuff like that. Hung out at friends' houses. You know, I played some nerdy games. I got into Magic the Gathering. I was into oh, all yeah. these like. Any kind of fantasy, because I was really into fantasy and sci-fi, so any games that combine that with, like, really having to think and strategize, I was a big fan of. So that's the kind of stuff. And then, you know, the partying and the fun came a little bit later in life. <laughs> nice one. If you could wake up tomorrow in any country with any job you wanted, where would you be and what would you be doing? Well... The only problem is choosing the country because there's so many places like I can envision myself uh, living. Probably somewhere in the Caribbean. I, you know, I've always been a fan of Nicaragua. I've been to that country many times. I also like Mexico. I like the Central America. I like, I like cheap places that are really nice weather. And I'm just going to choose Nicaragua for now because it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite countries because every time I've been there, A, like, you know, you, you go to Mexico. I don't know if you've ever been through that area. If you go to Mexico from the U.S., you're like, wow, this is really cheap. But then if you go even further south into Central America, you're like, wow, this is really cheap. And Mexico is expensive. And so, like, mm. like, I'd say Guatemala and, and Nicaragua are both countries that I think are fantastic that really apply. Like, they're, they're very, very, very cheap. It's a little bit harder to get around, you know, but if you know a little bit of Spanish, you can figure things out pretty easily. And Nicaragua's got some amazing beaches. So I would definitely want to be near the beach in very nice weather in a very cheap location where I could, hopefully, whatever job, uh, where I could just, I guess, post this podcast full time, you know, record yeah. some podcasts in my little beach hut, come on out, you know, kick my feet up, have some, you know, beach drinks, go out in the water and just kind of relax. That, that's kind of my vision. That's, that's something I'm actually actively thinking about and working towards in life. So I just need to make more money on the podcast. Yeah, we just need to have uh, 10 or 100 times as many libertarians. 100 would be great. I could probably manage it with 10 times, but 100 would seal the deal. So well, find 100 of your friends, people, and help us make this trip happen. We need uh, 100 times more libertarians in order to... Uh, I think that's the uh, In order to be swimming in a big enough pool to... Or we could sell out and we could just, you know tow more mainstream lines in, in, in entertaining fashion. It's an idea. Great. That sounds right now. That's, uh, that's I'm just saying we shouldn't take everything off the table because living on the beach sounds pretty nice. You know? It does sound pretty nice. Um, what cocktail will you be drinking? Uh, I'm a big fan. I'll probably default to like a, a rum and coke. Um, Cuba yeah. Libre, as I like to refer you to them. Rum, dark, uh, I don't know if you're drinking light rum, but uh, I prefer dark rum. I I'm prefer drink, dark rum as well, spice right. rum. Everyone drinks with Coke, but actually I prefer lemonade. It's more subtle, yeah. therefore it doesn't dominate. Well, I was going to say, that's the other thing. I can't drink a lot of Coke, so I eventually will have to switch the rum to something else or just switch off, switch off it all together. So that's an idea. I haven't actually tried that particular combination. So Try the lemonade and see. give me the report. All right. This has been Mark Clare behind the main. Uh, catch him, Lions of Liberty podcast. You must see the mini documentary um, called dot, dot, dot. And live free. The Lions of Liberty story. Dot, dot, dot. And live free. The Lions you can find of that, um, Well, I don't know exactly when this is going to air, but you can see it before then if you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. That's already available to our supporters. And then it will be released uh, far and wide uh, probably on Facebook and YouTube. I don't know where else you release things. Maybe somewhere else if anyone has ideas. Uh, I want to get it as much uh, out there as much as possible. So 
Um, maybe I'll put it on mines. I haven't started a mines account. Everyone tells me. That. The thing is, I don't like having a lot of accounts and posting a lot of places. So I kind of just post in the standard ones. And I'm not really much of a rebel when it comes to that, to be honest, because yeah. I'm kind of lazy. I don't like posting on 10 different sites. I've got, I've I leave got, that to everybody else. I've got enough apps on my phone, Telegram, yeah. Signal, Facebook exactly. Messenger, I don't need more. Instagram, etc. So here's a policy guy. Here's Mark Clare. He is the leader of the pride. And uh, please catch him on Lions of Liberty podcast. Until next time, please, Mark, since your first roar was so groundbreaking, roar us out. All right, well, until next time, kids, live long and live free and roar!